0: of man. And it's hard to feel dignity if your health isn't good. It's a challenge. It can be done. Medicare for all. It used to be just Bernie Sanders' allegedly radical agenda. But as the 2020 campaigns kick into gear, it seems to me it's at the top of nearly all Democrats' agenda. Some, of course, still say it's too radical. The current administration, of course, thrives on whipping up fear. And a thread common to the arguments against Medicare for All is, oh, it's just too expensive. And when has government ever done a better job than private for profits? On today's show, we're going to look at uh, uh, Medicare for All from two angles. What it is and how it plays politically in the heartland, the Midwest, which Democrats famously lost in 2016. Here to talk about what it is, the realities under the fears, is Melinda St. Louis, Campaign Director for Public Citizens' Medicare for All campaign. Thank you for being with us, Melinda. Thanks for having me. For the past 20 years, Melinda has led multiple campaigns that challenge corporate power and promote economic justice and human rights, most recently fighting big pharma greed and global trade agreements. Well, The labeling of Medicare for All as a radical idea demonstrates how far to the right America has swung. In 1948, polling showed 75% of Americans favored what was then called socialized medicine as a natural adjunct to Franklin Roosevelt's successful New Deal programs. It was only the segregationist Southern Democrat U.S. senators that stopped it from becoming law. They whipped up a fear of the blood of black people being mixed with the blood from white people in socialized hospitals. Boy, is that ugly. That's part of our real history. The fact is, once the American people understand what it is and is not, support grows. That's a fact. Of course, the right wing today, direct descendants of the old far right, fights hard against letting the truth be known. In this era of astounding lies, being an everyday thing from this White House, The job of the rest of us is to get the truth out. And when I was in the New Hampshire State Senate, the old saying was, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. To start off, Melinda, what about the current system is broken? Let's talk about fiscal realities. Your article says, thanks to price-gouging exploitation of patent monopolies and other government-granted market exclusivities, the U.S. spends outrageous sums on prescription drugs. So what about the current system is broken?
3: Right. Well, so as probably everyone who's listening to this knows, we are everyone in this country has some story about their interactions with our health care system and, and the challenges that it faces. The reality is that we in the United States we pay much, much more than any rich country in the world. Um, and we get far less in, in terms of our money. So we spend more than double per person, per capita, in the United States on health care than any other industrial, industrialized country. So we spend more, double. And yet we rank last among all of those rich countries and almost every relevant health indicator. We have 30,000 Americans dying at least each year because they have a lack of health coverage. That's nearly 100% preventable deaths each day. Um, We have nearly half of adults in the US last year reporting that they did not go to the doctor or when they were ill or injured because of cost. And one in three adults report that they skip medical treatment that they need because they can't afford it. And so, what that has meant is that we now we actually rank forty third among the world's nations for life expectancy. That's behind Cuba, Costa Rica, and Chile. And again, we know that we have some of the best health care coverage in the health in the world. So why is that happening? How how on earth can that be the case? And that's because we are the only rich country in the world that has made the policy choice to not provide universal health care for our population. Um, we, you know, there were important steps forward made after the Affordable Care Act, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There, uh, but there are still nearly 30 million people who do not have health insurance in the United States. And even for the people who have health insurance, there are more than 40 million of those people who are underinsured, which mm-hmm. means that their copays and deductibles are so high that they can't even afford them. Um, and so that's why we're seeing this proliferation. I'm sure everyone has seen GoFundMe is now one of the largest, um, well, it, uh, in terms of healthcare care dollars, that's how many, many people are actually getting their health care coverage through GoFundMe. Wow. And there are... Two-thirds of the families in the United States that declare bankruptcy, they do that because of their crushing medical bills. And this is not just people who are uninsured, but people who have insurance. And when they get sick, they realize that actually their insurance was not there to cover them. It was actually to deny care that they need. Uh, so, so we are in a situation, and, and as you mentioned, um, in terms of prescription drugs, mm-hmm. we spend double what other Industrialized countries spend on prescription drugs as well. And that's because um, big pharmaceutical companies have successfully lobbied in the United States and then also in global trade agreements to lock in these extended monopolies. Um, in addition wow. to patents, they have these exclusivity periods um, that mean that they block generic competition and can charge any price they want. Um, and they are, are, are trying to lock that in in tr- trade agreements so that we can't change the laws in the United States. And so that's why in the United States, we just spend you know, way, way more than other countries that have come up with better ways of being able to um, provide the prescription drugs and the health care um, that their population needs.
0: It does seem like there's sort of two different uh, demographics. There's the demographic of people that have a fair amount of money that they think, wow, this is a great, great medical care. I love my medical care. Doctors are terrific. Hospital is terrific. That's a fairly small segment, I think, because there's a lot of people who just don't have access to that. Um, what about the, the question of Medicare for all? It's Oh, it's just too expensive. And, mm-hmm. you know, people who are just buying their own Insurance right now, uh, well, they pay, I pay a heck of a lot of money. I almost said a word I can't say on the radio, but it's it's, uh, amazing. So how do you answer the question, well, Medicare for All is just too expensive?
3: Well, yes, that's a talking point that we hear a lot. But the reality is, is we cannot afford our current system. We are already spending, as I mentioned, we're spending double what other countries are spending, and they are covering their entire population. And why is that? And that is because we have chosen to allow through having this fragmented system where we have all of these for-profit insurers, and then we also have a lot of public programs. We have Medicaid, we have Medicare, we have CHIP, we have the Veterans Administration. So the United States actually spends more in public money and taxpayer money on health care per person than all those other countries do, and that right. doesn't even count all of the um, all of the huge amount that we spend on, on private insurance. So we are already spending a, just an extraordinary amount. And if you can imagine this, that we waste an estimated $500 billion a year Whoa. in administrative waste and in maximizing shareholder profit. That's $500 billion. That's 100 times what we shut the government down for on the wall, over the wall, right? And that's each year. That's money that is going into our health care system that is not going to care for people. And so that's why we actually can't afford to cover everyone in the United States uh-huh. with what we're already spending on health care. Um, even the Koch brothers funded this study to show how expensive it was that's going to right. be, right, to have Medicare for all and under the Bernie Sanders bill.
4: Right.
3: And that study showed that over 10 years we would be saving $2 trillion under the Medicare for All plan. Of course, what they reported was it's going to cost $32 trillion, right?
4: This, right. this
3: plan. But what they didn't say is that if we don't implement the plan, we are going to be spending thirty four trillion dollars and that's not even assuming that the pr- that all the health care costs keep going up as of course they are each year so so really it's I mean obviously it's a matter of how we pay for it and um, and but for the average person in the United States, they would be paying less um, under you know the intri- increased taxes that you would need in order to fund a full program than what they are currently paying in in the astronomical premiums, out- of pocket costs, copays deductibles yeah. that all of us um, uh, face. And as you mentioned, there are you know there are some very wealthy people who can afford this, but sure. this is something that that the middle class and people who have employer insurance are discovering every day that that when it comes to when they get sick. They find, one, they don't have the choice of doctors that they want because they have these narrow networks under your your employer insurance. And then, two, you end up having to pay. There are these surprise billing that happens. Um, people get thousands of dollars in bills that they did not expect that they thought were going to be covered, and then they're forced to go into bankruptcy, to go to GoFundMe, and um, and we're seeing this across the board. So, so you know, I think... It's obviously a big change, but it is not more expensive than what we are spending now.
0: If you just tuned in to Keeping Democracy Live, Bert Cohen here. Our guest today is Melinda St. Louis, campaign director for Public Citizens Medicare for All campaign. And I wonder how your campaign is going about it. I mean, you think about the power of the health insurance industry, the power of the pharmaceutical industry over Congress. My sense is that Obamacare it failed right in the very beginning before it even got out of the gate because they were working with the for-profit insurance companies. They worked with them. They included them. And so that's, you know, it it just, it doesn't deal with it. So what about the power that these guys have in DC? Is that, I mean, is it shakeable? do you think? Are, are they starting to lose their power? Is, I mean, how, how, significant is their power in Washington, D.C., the power of the health industry lobbyists?
3: Well, their power is very, very strong. There is no doubt about it. The big pharmaceutical companies spend more in lobbying dollars than the defense industry does. They are by far the largest um, uh, um, spend, you know, uh, industry that spends um, on lobbying. And And it's, And it's no surprise because, as I mentioned before, the monopolies that they have managed to lock in through through the, um, their lobbying dollars and through right. the, the laws in this country, are to the tune of billions and billions and billions of dollars each month uh, for, for these companies. So so that has been money well spent for them, for yeah. sure. And they are not going to give up without a fight, and that is obviously the case. The, um, the big insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies have come together. They've created this new, they're calling it the Partnership for America's Healthcare Future in order to fight Whoa. and to try to defeat medicare for all um and we know that this is a huge this is an uphill battle and this is the only reason why we do not already have medicare for all in our country um is because of the you know of the power and the influence of these industries no, that no, are trying to um to maximize their profits at the expense of our health care but what? that is we at, you know, we a public citizen and yeah. and Many of our partners, you know, are not going to say just because that's the case, we're going to allow this to continue. And I think we're in a different moment than we were um, even during the um, Obamacare Affordable Care Act moment. I mean, one of the things that has happened is that the greed of these industries has, has just, you know, is so much greater than it was even ten, fifteen, twenty years ago, um, and and our health outcomes are getting worse and worse and worse. We were about this average among in, industrialized countries in the '80s in terms mm. of life expectancy, and now we're 43rd in the world. And we and and the bankruptcies that people are it was a half of bankruptcies were due to medical expenses like 10 or 15 years ago, and now it's two thirds. So it's touching more and more people. The uh, um, big you know businesses are going are having a, a extraordinarily difficult time uh, providing health care coverage for their uh, employees as they see health insurance premiums going up you know 10% 15% 20% a year and so it's just getting out of control and out of hand and i think that that people are waking up to that we the 2018 elections were a healthcare election. There's yes. no doubt about it. That's yes. what voters turned out in droves about. Um, they, you know, the reason that people um, turned out to vote so strongly, um, and we saw the shift in the House of Representatives. Uh, that was many, you know, most voters when they were, you know, exit polling said that they turned out because they. Wanted to protect health care and what happened um, in 2017 with the Republicans trying to repeal um, the Affordable Care Act. You know, I think people realized that they wanted to. Uh, protect their health care, and that we need to no longer just talk about tweaks around the edges. We need to actually fix the problem and provide health care for everybody.
0: I do think people are more ready for overall, you know, real answers. And no question 2018 was about health care. I just wanted to get the name of that uh, lobbying organization, that gathering of... Uh, of, of nice-hearted uh, people, partnership for America's future healthcare.
3: Right. Pa- partnership for America's healthcare future. If you start to see ads on TV, and um, you'll, they you know, they're doing ad buys everywhere, um, and they're going to be. Sp- spewing out false information about Medicare for All, like that it isn't isn't um, isn't affordable, as I mentioned. We can't afford our current system. And that, in fact, Medicare for All is the most cost-effective way for us to deliver health care in the United States. They also put out, you know, a fear-mongering about people not being able to choose their doctor. Uh, and And this idea of socialized medicine. Medicare for All is not socialized medicine. Medicare for All is... You would st- there are still private doctors uh-huh. private hospitals will deliver all of the health care it 's just who is paying for it to have one payer so that the hospitals and the doctors and the nurses aren 't having to spend all of their time really? fighting with insurance companies um, and um, and actually being able to provide the care and in fact. Um, as seniors know, in the United States, under Medicare currently, there is much more choice of doctors than you have under uh, any employer-based private insurance system, because there would be complete choice of doctors if if everyone is being, you know, if there's one payer. Uh, and so there's more choice that it's more cost effective and 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 the legislation that's being promoted that we're supporting and that it has a growing base
4: mm-hmm. would
3: improve medicare for seniors it would it would actually get rid of the copays and the deductibles and and the need to get supplemental insurance everything would be covered we would no longer have to w- pay for prescription drugs separately. And this would be something that everyone, as a matter of right, hmm. living in the United States, would have comprehensive coverage. And we absolutely can afford it.
0: Yes, we, we certainly can. And I happen to think, just politically, you know, in 2016, the orange one had a message, make America great again. It was stupid, but it worked. We had no message. It seems to me the obvious message for 2020, Medicare for all people get it. It's simple. It's straightforward. I wanted to ask about the insurance company buildings that I see. They're some of the fanciest places I've ever seen. And as I pay my incredibly expensive health insurance premiums, I wonder what percentage of my money goes to administrative costs, luxury offices, high salaries for executives. What is known about this and how would Medicare for All address that?
3: Well, you know, it's it's, quite amazing that private insurance companies it's estimated that um, that between 12 and 16 17% of of the um, money goes to administrative costs etc and for medicare which is the you know the government insurance company right. or uh, system it is 2% oh on administrative costs <laughs> so a uh, medicare is extraordinarily more efficient in, um in, and so that means all of that money going to care as opposed to the luxury um, buildings that you're seeing as that's going to um, all of these uh, the bloated CEO salaries. I mean, when you think about it, if if we believe that everyone should have if healthcare care is a human right, yes. how on earth have we decided to allow? It to be you know a commodified good and for it to be something that is um that is about maximizing shareholder profits as opposed to maximizing health care and the health of our citizenry and uh, you know and so there's there's absolutely no reason and as i mentioned before that 500 billion dollar number that i said administrative waste each year and if we ta- if we allowed Medicare to negotiate drug prices, we would save potentially what it, the estimates are at least two hundred billion dollars a year just just in being able to negotiate. What's crazy? It was a huge giveaway to big pharma again, uh, those lobbying dollars uh-huh. that to make it uh, illegal for Medicare to negotiate with them, even though Medicare is the largest purchaser, purchaser. of drugs in the world and the 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 Veterans Administration, for example, the VA, yeah. they are able to negotiate, and it's a much smaller pool, obviously, the VA, yeah. and they have much lower drug prices than Medicare does. So, just just being able to do that would would save us billion, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars. So, so I mean again, in terms of the only, the only beneficiaries of the current system are, you know, are the CEOs and are these big, big, big companies and, you know, maximizing shareholder profits. They're really, in terms of the the healthcare professionals themselves who are spending oh, yeah. all, they, so much time on administration yeah. versus care and and patients are not benefiting from.
0: No, that. you ask doctors and healthcare providers, pff, <laughs> they'll tell you, they'll give you an earful. One thing I wanted to ask: I personally was the beneficiary of a pharmaceutical uh, company. I had a kind of bad mm-hmm. disease, and. It takes a lot of capital to do the research and development, mm-hmm. and a for-profit pharmaceutical cured it. I would hate to see this curtailed under Medicare for All. How, how would—go well, ahead. No, yeah. no So that,
3: that's a really good point. And obviously, we need to figure out what is the balance in terms of promoting innovation— right and and providing affordable medicines and we are, have completely lost that balance in the united states what we've what we've seen is that now the big pharmaceutical companies spend far more on marketing than they do on research and development
4: uh-huh.
3: um, and so so you will definitely hear the argument coming from big Pharma that we that they need these extended monopolies in order to be able to um, invest in research and development. but the reality is is that actually most of the research and development dollars coming in the United States come through the National Institute of Health ah. and through public universities most of the big innovation is happening through public money already oh and then these companies come in at the like at the late end of it uh-huh. do some of the final trials and then they get all of Kudos. the windfall, billions and billions in profits. And and, and in fact, what's happened Jeez. with the, the way that they've managed to kind of extend these monopolies and to chain, tweak, tweak the laws have meant that it actually discourages innovation because they can get more money and if they get an extended patent, for example, uh-huh. on a um, on a new use or a new form of a uh-huh. drug, like an extended time release of oh, capsule of the same yeah. drug, they can yeah. get an additional 20 years monopoly. So they will try to do these tweaks around the edges yes. as opposed to really investing in innovation and particularly on some of the, you know, and, and on the med- on for um, diseases that affect poorer people yeah. or... Um,
0: oh, they're not going to do that. Know, there's no money. You don't see
3: the research and development course, happening there.
0: No, there's no money in that. Well, before we end this, there is the Medicare for All Act of 2019. How does that look compared to, to previous you know, efforts at Medicare for All? Does it have much support? How goes the battle on that?
3: So yes, the Medicare for All Act of 2019 was introduced in the House um, by Representative Jayapal from Washington, and it has a, it had a record amount of of original co-sponsors in the House. More than 106 uh, co-sponsors uh, uh, signed on when it was introduced. Wow. So, Previous, the previous bill um, that was introduced in the House um, when it was introduced had around 50 or 60. So we're seeing an, ex, you know, we're seeing um, increased numbers of support um, in the House of Representatives. We expect um, Senator Bernie Sanders to introduce um, a Senate version of the bill soon. And, and again, in the last Congress, he also had a record amount number of support um, on in the on the Senate side for the medicare for all legislation uh, we know that many um, of the newly elected members of the house uh, ran on medicare for all a yes. lot of them um, you know have signed on to this bill there's a lot of energy around it and and it's exciting because it's actually the most detailed version of medicare for all that we've seen before where they uh... actually it's very serious policy um, in addition to an important message it um, would cover everyone in the United States for all medically necessary treatment and eliminates copays deductibles coinsurance oh. um, and uh, and 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 then it also has important mechanisms in terms of being able to control costs like like uh, Medicare being able to negotiate prescription drugs like eliminating all of this administrative waste um, and And so it's, it's quite an exciting um, piece of legislation. I think this is, I mean, this is obviously not something that the Republican controlled Senate or the current president Mm -hmm. is going to support. So we have the next couple of years to build the legislative record around what this means uh, for Medicare for all to build support for it, to make it a big issue in the, in the elections in 2020. And, and, And interestingly, another uh, way that folks can get involved in building support is that we are launching an initiative to have local governments, um, so city, town councils, county councils, Mm -hmm. pass resolutions in support of of Medicare for All as a way to get local media coverage to show their elected representatives on the committees in the House um, that it's important to keep doing hearings on this to really um, build support um, so that we you know we can really win this i mean as you said very clearly that you know this is this is an uphill battle because of the power of of the big money behind this but but you know the the american people are ready for this you yes, know I and think I, think right. that, I think that right. that we can build you know we need to build at the base we need to educate people we need to make sure that that they aren't uh, you know um bought, aren't convinced by many of the myths the myths and and uh, lies that are going to be put out mm-hmm. by the insurance companies um but um but we you know we can build support for this really important legislation and eventually win
0: and i will say you know for those people who think well I don't have any power. They, in Washington, I can't go up against the lobbyists with all that money. I got no money. Politicians realize it's about votes. Each vote mm-hmm. is one person. They know, you know, if they hear people, and when uh, Franklin Roosevelt was talking with uh, A. Philip Randolph of uh, the, the Pullman-Porters Union back way back then about integration and ending segregation, FDR said to him something like, I'm with you. I want it to happen. Now go out there and make me do it. And that's what we got to do.
3: That's absolutely right. And in fact, I have talked to quite a few um, representatives in Congress who say, I need to hear from my constituents about this. I would like to do this, but I am getting, you know, I have the pharmaceutical companies are visiting me. All the time, and they have their money, but I have to be able to show them that this is something that people really, really care about and and this is something that really people really, really care about. This is life and death for us right this is what you, you know i we each have a story of somebody right who and all of us can get sick will get sick yeah, at some point, absolutely. and we need this is, this is something that, you know, goes across class and race and, uh, and, and, you know, all of the other differences and party, of course, you know, that we all um, need health care, and we need access to affordable yes. health care, and we are not getting it now. That's and, for sure. um, and this is something that that affects red states as much as blue states <laughs> right and um, and and so this is something that we can come together on and really demand that it that you know the time is now we will you know we we cannot allow another decade to pass where we just have you know skyrocketing healthcare costs that mean you know people 30,000 people die each year
0: no, nuts. in
3: the united states because they can't afford health care and it's unacceptable.
0: It is. How can p- people on the that internet thingy contact your organization, Public Citizens Medicare for All Campaign? Is there a website?
3: So our website is citizen.org and we are about to uh, launch a website around local resolutions. It's called it's Medicare Number Four All Resolutions.org uh-huh. um, to have lots of um, information on how you can get involved in your community.
0: Thank you so much. We will continue. Thanks so much for being with us. Very informative.
3: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: And we'll be back in just a minute. First, we're going to hear a song called Soul Doctor.
2: Well, I woke up this morning to purify revised.
0: doctor from foreigner. Well, switching gears just a little bit, so much of the focus of American politics is on the coasts. In the 2016 election, it seems our nominee, the Democratic nominee, kind of forgot about the heartland, and look what happened. America's Midwest has largely been overlooked in presidential elections, despite there being major changes going on in the Midwest. And generally challenging changes. Family farms are being eaten up by agribusiness. That's been going on a long time. Tariffs are hurting agricultural exports. And the health of individuals in rural towns is taking a very harsh hit. Now, a 100 years ago, the heartland was a hotbed of what was called prairie populism with such outspoken leaders as fighting Bob La Follette, a senator, with a strong democratic farm labor movement as well. What can effectively be done to aid rural America is a serious challenge. There's no easy answers for sure. But one thing is for sure, according to our guest, Barb Kalba, a fourth-generation family farmer and registered nurse, and that is Medicare for All, is needed for the Midwest. It effectively addresses the unique needs of rural American and, and quite specifically helps the people of the often-overlooked Midwest. Uh, Barb Kalba is board president of the Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement. That's part of the People's Action National Network of Grassroots Groups. The title of her article is Rural America Needs Medicare for All and Fast. Barb, thanks so much for being with us. I know it wasn't easy. I, I'm
1: I'm glad to be here. Thank you.
0: I'm here on the East Coast. People don't hold it. Please don't hold it against me. My brother-in-law lives in Iowa City, and I had the— Tremendous honor of working Iowa for George McGovern in his 1984 run, and we did pretty well. Let's start with you telling us about what's going on with rural hospitals, and you've been a nurse for a long time. What's going on with the rural hospitals?
1: Well, uh, rural hospitals are commonly called um, uh, rural access hospitals, and there was specific legislation designed to help support them years ago, Um, Across the nation, though, rural hospitals are beginning to close, and that, of course, doesn't serve the people in the the rural areas. And as time goes on, as we've changed our health care over the last few years, that hasn't improved. The ability to increase income to rural areas, of course, is not improving, and the ability to increase income into rural hospitals de- continues to decline. So health care is becoming um, a problem in the rural areas, or the access to health care, I should say.
0: Ah, the access. That's the thing, the access. People got to uh-huh. travel long distances. And you write in your article that, quote, Medicaid expansion, now that's like welfare, uh, med- medical aid for p- people with lower incomes, Medicaid expansion was supposed to help here in Iowa. It sure didn't. What do you mean by that? Why didn't it help? Please tell us about that.
1: Well, uh, what happened with privatized Medicaid was that the the entire program was handed over to for-profit managed care organizations, they're called. And what they are are insurance companies that agree to manage uh, Medicaid for the government. So... What they have done, of course, insurance companies have to make a profit, and so what they have done to do that is deny claims and cut services. Secondly, Medicaid expansion would have would have just been a Band-Aid to the emergency on the horizon. We need a robust program that revitalizes our local and rural hospitals and care facilities. That, in turn, will bring jobs to our small communities and... Um, that will lift the economics in the small towns.
0: Uh, Yeah. And, and, uh, the the hospitals, uh, the, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of few and far between and without a profit. How, how important are hospitals to, uh, you know, the small towns, you write that rural hospitals, local nursing homes and care facilities are the lifeblood of our small towns across the heartland.
1: Well, truly they are. We have in our um, county seat in Adair County, Iowa, we have our county hospital. We also have two thriving businesses. One is Cardinal Glass that makes windows and, and glass for places all over the country. And another one is an ink plant. Both of those companies said they hire a lot of people from the local communities and both said they will not locate in a town without a hospital. So without that hospital there, we would, have, would not have had those two thriving businesses and employment for people. So that's just an example. And then as far as uh, the small-town nursing homes that developed over the years, right. that kept people close to home that offered a lot of services for the elderly and their families. And families were able then to be supportive of their, of their loved ones close to home rather than a uh, distance far away.
0: And they employ a fair amount of people, too, these small hospitals and the uh, 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 nursing care facilities. Um,
1: Absolutely. In the in the small town, of course, it doesn't seem like very much, but when you live in a city, but uh, in Greenfield, in the, in the county seat, there are 100 people employed in the hospital alone. Wow. And then there's the nursing home, there's uh, public health, uh, that it serves out of that area also, and, and those are all employers for people that and have, you know, fairly decent wages and benefits. Sure. Which doesn't count yeah. the companies that depend on that hospital being there to serve yeah. their employees.
0: Right. The other
1: thing about about Medicaid is and that has Im- impacted this privatized Medicaid. What they do to make their income is they deny services. So our hospital can plan on their first submission of services for a patient. When they submit that to the, the um, Medicaid MCO, you can plan on getting that back. It will be rejected. Oh my. Then you resubmit the claim. Often, it is rejected again. Possibly the third time it may be paid. And sometimes it takes up to a year to get the reimbursement for the services for one patient. Um, we have had to hire in our local hospital and also in the hospital in the neighboring um, county, we have had to hire one full-time staff person for each hospital just to, to go through the process of submitting and resubmitting Medicaid claims. And then you may not be reimbursed. We've also discovered that Insurance companies are also starting to decline more and more payments, regular insurance companies that people have through their employers.
0: Yeah. And uh, what's her name? Uh, I can't even remember her name Uh, uh, from from uh, Alaska, who was saying, you know, that death panels scaring people. about. well, we have death panels now. Sarah Palin. (laughs) That was it. Nice to forget yeah, her. Sarah Palin. Yeah. yeah, she used. Yeah, to-
1: we have death panels there at the insurance companies.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, we do. No question. You write. Oh, if you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is keeping democracy alive, and we're talking with Barb Kalba, fourth generation family farmer and registered nurse in Iowa. She's board president of the Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement. And well, let me ask actually politically. uh, when I was in Iowa, the Democrats there were, were good, you know, traditional, I'd say fairly liberal Democrats. But then again, uh, there are some people on the other side. Do you think—I mean, it's 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 red and blue, the Midwest is, but it's a very, very important area that, frankly, as I said earlier, got overlooked— what do you think you i'm not in iowa are people ready for it are people ready for medicare for all do you think is is there enough demand for that do people understand it is the fear campaign working what are your thoughts on that i
1: think that i think that it's coming because as people you don't discover a lot of the inequities of our health care until you have to access it.
4: True. And so
1: if there are people who pay $500 monthly premiums for family coverage to um, through their employer for their insurance, there's people who pay up to $2,000 a month for that. Mm. Uh, plus they have deductibles, and they don't really realize the impact of that until they have to seek out services. Then there's the Medicaid issue. Uh, one of the MCOs in Iowa, United Healthcare, has just announced that they are pulling out. Well, that leaves 425,000 people now without a healthcare uh, MCO through Medicaid. My, so they will my. now have to scramble between one of the other two to be picked up. Um, Medicare covers uh, a nice amount for the elderly but it doesn't cover everything. And so as people access or have to use their health care, that's when they discover that, oh, my doctor isn't covered by my health insurance policy, or, oh, this service isn't covered by my health insurance policy, mm-hmm. or, oh, Medicaid didn't cover that emergency room visit, and now I have this bill to pay. And they don't start to, to discover that until they actually use right. it. But what... I'm starting to see through that process as I as I've worked with people that have had that happen to them, is that I don't see any other answer for healthcare. It is so convoluted yes. and so different from person to person that no one is getting. Well, some are possibly, but mm-hmm. at least no one in uh, small town Iowa is getting dependable, good standard care it's just a mixture and hopefully you hit the right mixture yeah. the right recipe
0: wow that's quite a uh, gambling casino there with people's lives how
1: is has... it really is yeah how... and then as far as go privatized ahead. medicaid goes as far as nursing home people your your loved ones that go in the nursing home yeah. um they're in sh- nursing homes are so costly uh. and even if you have long-term care insurance, that will last a certain amount of time. If you have assets, that will last a certain amount of time at five to $6,000 a month plus your medications. But at some point, if you have any kind of quality of life at all, mm-hmm. you will have to go on Medicaid because you've run out of all other financial assets. Mm-hmm. And at that point, services are cut in the nursing homes too. Wow.
0: Yeah, that's that's quite a picture you're painting. It's so convoluted. And, you know, in Obamacare, which is, you know, a nice start, I guess. But the insurance companies, the for-profit insurance companies, were part of the mix in creating the darn thing. And, it, you know, it's, it's barely a half measure. And why are there issues unique to rural America that only Medicare for All actually addresses, do you think?
1: Well, I think uh, one of the things is... Um, our rural hospitals are called critical access hospitals, and I think the key word to that is critical, meaning that they need to be there for access for the, the population of rural areas. And so one thing that Medicare for All would guarantee is that people don't have to travel 50 to 100 miles when their child has a sore throat or when um, they have an injury on the farm, that there is a healthcare facility nearby that can address those issues. So just the travel distance alone and, you know, people have heart attacks out in the country just like they do anywhere else. And to have that, the access to a hospital 20 miles away rather than 50 to 100 miles away is the difference between life and death.
0: Oh, absolutely. And quite a few years ago, I had a rather dangerous disease, but There's a solid market for people who had what I had, uh, Hep C, quite frankly. Pharmaceuticals did the research. Uh, They made a lot of money, at least in the final analysis. My clinical trial was in Boston. But what about people with tough diseases who are not large in number in the rural areas who don't live near big cities? Are they just plain out of luck? Or how might Medicare for all actually address that?
1: You know, I don't. I don't know exactly how they would address that specifically, but there would be. I know how it is right now, and I know that most people who live in small town or rural Iowa could not afford to go to Boston to be part of a trial, a unless there was a big fundraising, a go a GoFundMe effort that that people would support. But but most people would not even think to yeah, to do that. They would think, well, I can't go. So I'm too, it's too far away. And so hopefully Medicare for All could address that. And we need to remember, too, that Medicare for All covers vision and dental. Yeah. And so um, generally preventative care is the best care to make sure that you have a healthy life. So in the long run, if you're able to access you know, your vision, your dental, yeah. and just your and your normal checkups within a reasonable uh, distance of your home, you're going to be a healthier person and yeah, overall I cost see. the health system, care system a lot less.
0: Again, if you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. Our guest on this half hour is Barb Kalba, who is a fourth-generation family farmer and registered nurse. We're talking about why Medicare for all is important for rural America, for the Midwest, the, the flyover territory, as so many candidates do, unfortunately. And you write, Barb, the for-profit healthcare system is an extractive industry helping to suck the wealth and life out of communities, especially in rural areas. Now, when I think of extractive, I think of digging coal and, you know, sucking oil out of the ground and, and clean water. W- what do you mean here by extractive?
1: Well, I think... I think that the for profit healthcare, just like a lot of other things, like privatized um, uh, prison systems, like privatized schools, they look at a situation that you have to have. Well, you have to have prisons, you have to have schools. How can I get my share of that money out of that situation? So we look at healthcare. Well, here's all these people out here in uh, rural, rural Iowa and they are going to need health care, how can I make sure that that health care dollar comes to me, to my hospital in Des Moines, Iowa? Um, and and that's where the extractive comes from. Um, they're already receiving, the insurance companies are already receiving large premiums from not only the uh, individual, but also their company that provides the other half of that insurance premium. So they're already receiving the insurance premiums. They're already receiving the um, deductibles. And, and now, they, as the countryside empties out and it's yeah. not able to provide services anymore, the, the, that wealth is gone. When, when my hospital has to close... Because it can't meet whatever recommendations is, is dictated to it from, from the insurance companies or from the Medicaid industry, that wealth has now been extracted. It's been extracted out to hmm. the big insurance companies, and, it, and they've made their millions and they're gone, you know. That's what I mean by extracting.
0: I see what you mean, and you know what are the it's ways?
1: Like a pie. Well, like the healthcare pie, <laughs> yeah,
0: and they're taking <laughs> There's a
1: way to access the money available in that healthcare
0: care pie. And the way you know capitalism is supposed to work, ideally is you know, recycling the money in a community. You know, local banks are supposed to do that, and you know to just suck it out. and And that's, I would think one good thing about Medicare and helping rural hospitals and and other you know healthcare care facilities is it keeps the money. Where it is, it doesn't just suck it out because, you know, as we know from sucking out all the oil and the coal and the water, especially the water, uh, well, there's that old saying, you don't miss your water until your well runs dry. And That's it's, right. it seems to me they are extracting everything out of there and... Uh, Wow, that's tough.
1: What? what? Well, it's 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 just like the you know like the workers, the one hundred workers at, at my hospital. If they don't have a hospital right now, they work at the hospital. They buy their lunch uptown. They go to the grocery store. They sure. go to the hardware store. They Absolutely. they circulate, like you said, they circulate their money within the community.
4: Yeah.
1: Now, when when they are no longer employed by the hospital and have to go to, say, Des Moines or another bigger city to work, they are likely to spend their money there.
0: Of course. That's
1: another aspect of the wealth extraction.
0: Now, I I happen to be uh, part of the baby boom generation, and we're edging into elderly territory. It's a fact. Uh, There's long-term and in-home care very costly right now, even, as you say, if you have long-term health care insurance. I presume there's an aging population perhaps— younger people are moving away out in the rural areas how might uh, Medicare for all affect long-term and, and in-home care and you know cost specifically to uh, folks that are getting older
1: well once again it would be um, health care that's provided makes that's provided to everyone where where they are and um, their the health care dollar can circulate within the community where the nursing homes are so that your loved one can stay within their local community where they've always lived and, and near their loved ones. Yeah, um, that matters
0: a lot. It really does.
1: Yes, and to be able to stay in your home as long as, as you can. We, we had one individual in our community who's he's paralyzed from the neck down, and he, of course, has used Medicaid now for a long time because he's unable to work. But Medicaid started rejecting his claims for home health care, so then he was looking at, well, gee whiz, he'd have to go to a nursing home. Now, which is more more costly, of and course. which would be better for that patient, yeah, I know. For, for him to be able to stay in his home, or for him to have to go to a nursing home? Right. And that's the other aspect of the extractive uh, point that I was making, because. The, in, the insurance companies, the way they're run now, and, and Medicaid, the way it's run now, is not looking at what is good for you, the individual patient. Of course is not. Is it good for you to stay in your home? Well, let's see how we can make that happen. Is it good for you to go to long-term care within your community? Well, let's see how we can make that happen. They're not looking no. at that individual. They're looking at that bottom-line
0: cost. Yep. Well, your article mentions the Medicare for All Act of 2019, recently introduced by Representative Pramila Jayapal. I don't know if I pronounced that right. How do you think that's playing politically in your part of the world? Is it something the presidential contenders might want to pick up on? Are average people, not the political types, starting to get it, this Medicare for All Act of 2019?
1: Well, I think, you know, um, ever since the ACA was discussed back in, in 2010, people are more and more aware of where their health care dollar is going and and what it's providing. And I think, yeah, I think that uh, they've had a long time to assess what they see within their own lives and within the lives of their loved ones. And so as the political candidates begin to talk about Medicare for All and what it can provide versus what we've had to put up with for about nine years now especially – Uh, I think they are ready to listen, and I think it would be important for um, the presidential candidates to address that.
0: Well, Iowa is like New Hampshire. You get presidential candidates parading through all the time, so you guys, you can keep the pressure on them. We've been talking with Barb Kalba, board president of the Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement, part of the People's Action Network. I don't know if there's anything on the Internet that you can point people to. Uh, As far as just getting involved, perhaps with the uh, People's Action Network or uh, uh, I don't know any other uh, organizations. Go ahead.
1: There's people, um, Uh peoplesaction.org and uh, iowacitizensforcommunityimprovement.com.
0: If they're in Iowa. Well, thank you so much. And the title of your article is Rural America Needs Medicare for All and Fast. Thank you so much. I really appreciate (laughs) you taking the time to be with us. Thank you.
1: You're welcome.